It's a joy for me to come and to share today. And After the moments of confession, uh, as we've uh, looked at ourselves, and then often, uh, as, as I do, perhaps you do the same, and reading the lives of men and women who have come to faith and, and seeing their journey. And in the last uh, several weeks, I've been reading in parts of David Jeremiah's book, Captured by Grace, as it kind of parallels the life of John Newton with that of the Apostle Paul. You know, uh, John Newton uh, titled himself sinner uh, extraordinaire, uh, slave trader, sinner uh, that uh, uh, thought he was beyond the grace of God. And then he met the Lord in a, in a storm thinking that the, the ship that he was on was not going to, to harbor. And then, then he realized that, uh, that even after he had pumped and pumped on the, on the uh, uh, pumps to get the water out of the ship as it came into the ship, uh, that, that the ship was going to make it. And then there was a calm for a day, and they sailed into harbor. And then the storm came back in, and he realized that had the mercy of God not been given to him, that ship and all of those aboard probably would have gone down because the ship couldn't have stood more storm at that point. And, and so uh, I, I, I thought about that and then how his life moved. And he gave us what some people term the world's hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, uh, uh, we don't use that word wretch a lot. We don't like to use uh, strong definitions uh, today that would categorize somebody. We save those for murderers and pornographers and terrorists. So we call them wretches, but we, we don't like it to be applied to us or, or to me. And, and yet Paul, in his letter, uh, or part of the, the letter that uh, uh, John Newton wrote in 1754, says, I don't believe I have ever met so daring a blasphemer as myself. I not only sinned, but I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. Now, that was written about himself. You know, the Apostle Paul, as we have learned about him, we could term him the Apostle of Grace, also because of what he had done. And uh, uh, of the 155 times the word grace is used in the New Testament, Paul uses them 130 Grace was, was a, a part of all that he wrote about. And as, as we read the scriptures uh, from time to time, it, it tells us that grace always amazed him as well. And, and he was honest, though, in, in talking about sin. And that's what, as John Newton began to read the Bible, uh, that his mother had tried to instill in him that that. He was intrigued, John Newton was, that Paul called himself the chief of sinners. That uh, Paul says in talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. Because Paul attacked and persecuted Christians, people like us. His mission was to come and to stamp out followers of those that, that were called the followers of the way that Jesus Christ had pre- presented and given to us. And since Paul was a an attacker and a persecutor and a murderer of Christians, 
but was saved by grace. Newton thought, well, maybe there's hope for me. And he read uh, those words uh, of Paul over and over again when he said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorant and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Abundant grace for abundant sin. John Newton couldn't stop thinking about the implications of such an idea. Abundant grace for abundant sin. Paul didn't whitewash his past. He describes himself early in his ministry as the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15. He was less than the saints as he wrote to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians 3.8 as he matured in Christ. And then at the end of his ministry and his life, it was when he wrote that, I am chief of sinners. So he, he progressed as he saw himself in relation to the glory of God and the grace that was given to us through Jesus Christ. Paul shows us the truth of this in, in Romans chapter 3, that none of us has clean hands. He quotes Old Testament verses five times, and he uses the word none are all, none are righteous, all are ruined, helpless in the sight of God. Let me read to you Romans three ten through 18. There is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands, There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have turned together and become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul keeps saying, no one, not one, not even one. He doesn't allow us to cling to any shred of self-righteousness. You know, it's it's a message that no one wants to hear. The the upshot of it is, is that most of us can be the most upright citizen that the community knows, and yet in the revealing light of heaven, we are still a miserable wretch in need of the mercy of God. There's another phrase that we don't like to apply to ourselves either, and it's called total depravity. Our depravity doesn't come in half doses. It's full. Total means just that. If we we use that for ourselves, we, we just don't like to say that, you know, I'm not all that bad. You know, I do, or I say, or, you know, we, we try to make an excuse. There was a, a Russian poet who said, I don't know the heart of evil men, but I do know the heart of good men, and they are terrible. Now, before you get depressed, there is some good news, uh, very significant good news, that when total depravity meets total grace, grace trumps depravity and covers it. Amen? In the end, we must acknowledge that there is darkness within us and that light only comes from heaven, from God, and that light and darkness meet and light always, aren't you glad, defeats darkness. Every atom of our being is infected by the disease of sin, but every atom may likewise be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we, the vilest offender, 
can be fully relieved. The only requirement comes in two realizations. One is that we are totally contaminated, and two, that we are totally forgiven because of the, the life, the death, the sacrifice, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.21 is, is encapsulated as the cure, and Paul outlines seven components of grace in these five verses. Many Bible commentators call these verses the heart of the gospel. Let me read it, Romans 3.21 and through 25. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. The seven components are, one, grace is apart from works. In verse 21, someone says that getting to heaven is like being in a boat with two oars. But, you know, one of the oars is works and the other is grace. But if you start to, to learn Scripture, you'll find out that one of those oars doesn't work. And that's the oar of works. doesn't work. Because otherwise, you would just be going around in circles. If, if we could row just a little bit with works and get to heaven, God wouldn't have needed to send Jesus. Jesus had come, and he paid it all. Not some of. Not most of. He paid it all. Second Timothy 1.9 says that God has saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Secondly, grace is accepted by faith. Paul says that we receive the righteousness of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Someone says that faith is the channel through which the grace of God comes to us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Faith is believing that Christ is what he said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do, and then we expect this of him. Faith is believing that what God says about righteousness through Christ applies to us and we can act on it. Thirdly, grace is available to all who believe. Some people think that grace is not available to them. They, they sin beyond the measure that the God's grace can cover. Our lives are like cups of, of water. And you can take a speck of dirt, a thimbleful of dirt, a tablespoon of dirt, but if you put them in any, all of our cups... We're not ready to drink. You don't want to drink water with dirt in it. And that's our life. We may be a, an outrageous sinner like uh, John Newton described himself or just an occasional sinner uh, as you might want to describe yourself. But uh, all of us are yet sinners. And all of us are lost. And as Paul said, none are righteous. No, not one. So that's why grace is available to all because we're all sinners in God's sight. Grace is available to us if we believe in Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. There's uh, uh, the grace that is obtained by justification. Now, this word justified can be simply said, and you may have heard it said, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And we, 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 we kind of like that, and it's a pretty good definition. But the problem is we really did sin. And, and we are sinners. So, uh, you know, a, a U.S. president can uh, uh, 
uh, pardon a person and so make them not responsible for their deed or their crime, but he can't restore them. And that's what grace does to, to us. And the justification that God gives to us is restoring our status before we ever sin. And that's what God does for us. And then fifthly, grace is awarded freely. We are justified freely by his grace. And the Latin New Testament freely is translated, and you know the, the word, gratis. It means free. We, it's, it's by God's gratis we are justified freely by his grace. And uh, we have a hard time with this because we've taught you work hard for everything you get. And yet grace is given because not that we do deserve it, we don't deserve it, and yet we get it. And that's what God gives us. He, he gives it to us freely. And then the sixth component is grace is acquired through redemption. With redemption, Paul draws the word from the slave market of his day, or even John Newton being a slave trader from the slave market of his day. A person would go into the marketplace where human beings were sold, and they would pay the price. They would redeem that slave out of the marketplace. They would take their shackles off and take them home. The same thing happens to us. Jesus came into the, to the marketplace, and he redeemed us by giving us his life in our place. And he takes us home, and he becomes our master, our Lord, and our Savior. And then finally, grace is accomplished through the propitiation. Now, that's a tough word. Uh, it's an, an important biblical word. And it comes from the Old Testament, meaning the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the, the top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant that Moses made in the wilderness. It was, it was the ark that had the, the cherubim with their wings almost touching. It was that same ark that made it, its way into the temple when, the, when Jesus died on the cross. And on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest, after sacrificing for his sins, would take the sacrifice of blood and walk into the, that holy of holies, only once a year, and pour the blood over the mercy seat. And propitiation became a meaning of satisfaction. The blood satisfied the will and the need that we have to have our sins forgiven. Jesus became the ultimate Lamb of God and his blood became the ultimate sacrifice and God was satisfied. So that when he looks at us, he sees us as if we'd never sinned. So... If you think you've committed too many sins to be forgiven, uh, to be made righteous, to receive grace, remember the mercy seat. God has been propitiated by Christ's blood. And if God's satisfied, then we can be satisfied that our sins are covered. Now, there was a, another man that kind of came into the picture toward the, uh, the end of John Newton's uh, ministry. Uh, he was a, a pastor, and he wrote hymns and and there was a man by the name of William Cooper, and it's spelled Cowper, but pronounced Cooper, who had a similar background. Like John Newton, he lost his mother at an early age. Like John Newton, he was sent to a boarding school by his father. He felt abandoned. He, he felt victimized. And, and, and this young man, William Cowper, or <laughs> Cooper, uh, uh, had a nervous breakdown. And in those days, you sent people like that to a mental institution 
But this is where the mercy of God steps in in Cooper's life, and that was that that as he went in there, there was a Christian man, a Dr. Cotton, who was there. And, and Cotton led Cooper back to the place of, of reading the Word, of believing the Word, of receiving the Word. And, and when, <clears throat> when he did that, he also found Romans chapter 3 and read those words. And he ended up in the church with Newton, and they wrote hymns there in uh, night. Let's see, what was that date? Uh, in 1779, they published a book of hymns, 349 songs and hymns. Uh, 67 of them were written by Cooper, and and the one that that jumps out at me is that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood whose all are guilty stains. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 